Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. So good to see each and every one of you today. So happy to be with you. So happy to begin a new series and a new year with you. And it's a series we've entitled Renovate. And as you came in today, you probably noticed there was an an extra thing. I I would encourage you, if you didn't get one yet, get one on your way out. What we're going to be doing together over the next 40 days is doing a devotion together. And uh, it shouldn't take you very long. If you have just a few minutes, I'm positive you can find a couple minutes in your day to hang out with me and to hang out in the Gospels, to hang out in the Bible together and have a discussion perhaps over the next few weeks with your families, certainly with your church family, as we dig into this idea that God is doing a wonder. He's doing a renovation in our hearts if we'll allow Him. It's about yielding to that, that we would give in uh, to what He's already doing in our lives as believers. And so get one of those if you didn't on your way out. And I'll be communicating with you there on, on the Facebook page. If you don't have Facebook, well, text me or whatever. Like, hey, this is what I'm, I'm doing. But on our Eastgate page, you can come there and I'll be posting something every day about what God's doing in me. And I bet we're going to get some unique, various kind of uh, discussions as we dig into these that God does something awesome that he shows each of us something different in the same passage. And that the same passage speaks differently at different times in our lives. And so this is the wonder of the Bible. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 today as we begin this series. And we've titled this sermon, It's a Matter of the Heart. It's a matter of the heart. And over the next eight weeks, in fact, we're going to be talking about this idea of heart renovation. Just so you know, over the last two years... Uh, it's been like the, the highest, one of the highest surges in our nation of, of people getting home equity loans and doing home renovations. I'm doing one right now. It's the worst, uh, but I, I'm hoping the payoff will be great. Uh, but over the last two years, I think people were, were home a lot and were bored or whatever it was, but people were doing work on their home. And so what I want to get into, though, is there's something bigger and better than that. that there's, there's nothing wrong with doing that or whatever you've done over the last couple of years. But I would like to see a surge in, in, in heart renovation, this idea that we would really be challenged by what God can do and will do in our lives if we would yield to that. And so the series theme, the, the thing that we're going to keep coming back to, the verse that we're going to come back to over and over every week is from Proverbs chapter 4, where it says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Now, I was going to recommend a book to you uh, to start off with today, but I haven't finished it yet, so I don't want to recommend it until I'm done. All right, But if, if for those super readers in here who want to challenge, Dallas Willard, writer Dallas Willard, Renovation of the Heart is a book that I've been going through. Pastor Gary and Wilson's been going through. And one of his quotes and the thing that's really began to challenge us is this idea of we live from our hearts. We live not outside in, but inside out. And that's always going to be true whether we like it or not. We live inside out. We tend to think, in fact, that if we would change things on our external, it would greatly help our internal. And to some degree it helps, but it's like a band-aid. It's like a, 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 just for a moment the sting goes away, but the old pain remains. 
Because we truly live from the heart. We live inside out. So when we renovate our kitchen or, or get a new job or try to renovate our marriage, try to get help there, try to, you fill in the blank, whatever it is this year that you've decided, you know, I'm going to do this better this year. If it's something external, it might help a little bit. But if it's not internal, it's not going to be life changing. If it's not inside out, it's not going to totally change and transform your life, which is what God really wants to do. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatian church, chapter 4, he said, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That he was feeling this, this tension that, oh my goodness, I, I hope so much that Christ would be formed in you. Because from our birth, our character, our inner self, our heart is being formed. And we might not even be aware of what it's forming into. That our life experiences, our choices are forming us from the inside out. And that what God wants to do is transform us. To become more like Jesus. And so if you kind of waited, this is good news. If you, if you waited a little while in life to come to Christ. Or, or at least waited a long time before you said yes in every way. And, and really made Him Lord of your life. There's a lot that needs transforming. And I know that's painful. That's okay, my friend. He's got a lot to, to undo and redo. When I used to work in the pharmacy, I found that people who were just coming in, learning the craft, were a lot easier to train than those who had come from another pharmacy where you had to undo all the bad stuff before you could fix it. Some of us are in that camp. We've got 30, 40, 50 some years of stuff that needs redoing. <laughs> some stuff that has to be undone before God can transform. But this is God's will for you, and it's the greatest. It's... <laughs> The thing that you were created for, that we would become more like Jesus. This is, this is our motto here. So if you're kind of new, you're kind of just hanging around us, I want you to understand something about what we want to be as a church. One of the things we say all the time, come just as you are and be forever changed by the love of Jesus. It's invitational, but don't miss the second half. We intend to see transformation in our own lives. That God would do something miraculous in this church both in this place and in small groups and what we're doing as we walk with Christ throughout the week, that we would not stay just as you are. There's a, there's a careful word there. Not come and stay just as you are, but be forever changed, transformed by His love. So why aren't more believers experiencing this? Look around. Think about this, even in your own life. Look at the church at large, if you think about our nation. Are Christians experiencing abundant life? Do you see a great deal of revival, transformation in people? Some people that have gone from this thing to a completely different thing, and it seems to be miraculous. How often do you see that? Not as often as I think you might ought to, right? If you're honest with yourself and you look in the mirror, you go, and this is a question that I'm asking that I don't have an answer yet to, but what would it look like if I really got serious about my walk with Christ Jesus. Like if I really took that seriously, more than just, you know, I'm going to do these simple steps every day. I'm going to make sure to go to church. Well, it's my job. I got to get up here and preach and stuff. I better do that, right? I better prepare and all that. But that's not enough. What would it look like if I really, really gave my all? My all, my best. Church, I have to admit, it's rare that I give my best to Him. I do my very best up here in preparation and preaching. But I don't always give my best to Jesus. 
And I'm convinced that he could do mighty things in my life if I would just fully say yes. And it scares me that I haven't. And I don't know what's holding me back. I'm just like the people I'm preaching to today. If you feel this way, good news, my friends. I think a whole lot of us feel this way. We're not experiencing the abundant life that Christ has promised because there's something we have not yielded. I don't know exactly what it is. I can't quite put my finger on it, but I know there's a piece of me that I've got to kill and give over. Either kill it or I've got to yield it. But one of the two has to happen and it's not yet. Would you come on this journey with me? As I, I try to dig into this, over the next few weeks we're going to be talking about what it might look like to renovate your, your thoughts and your mind and your, then your actions and then your heart and then what it would look like to let Christ in on every relationship. Like, What would it look like to the transforming power of God in every aspect of my life? What would that look like? I want to see it. I hope you do too. I hope you do too. Why aren't more experiencing it? Well, I think it's a matter of yielding. One observation from, this is not a Christian, Mahatma Gandhi once looked closely at Christianity as he was studying many of the world religions. And here's something he said that I find sad in a way. He says, he remarked that if only Christians would live according to their belief in the teachings of Jesus, we all would become Christians. If only we would live out the teachings of Christ, more people would come to Christ. I'm convinced that is true. And too often they see something else. A religion rather than a relationship. I don't know what they see, but it's not what Christ intended. And He wants so much more for us if we would yield. I think the evangelical church, and I'm not sure we've been so guilty of this, but I want to make sure that we work harder on it. That we've made much about believing in Jesus. That we've gotten an aspect of salvation right. But we've missed sanctification in the process somehow. That we've made much of believing in Jesus, but not as much about becoming more like Him. How about you? Are you a believer? A Christ follower this morning? Are you growing in Christ? Do you look more like Him today than you did last year at this time? Are you looking less like Him? What's going on? In the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians, he instructs believers... That since they've been raised to new life in Christ Jesus, God wanted to renovate their hearts. That, so that the character of Christ would be formed in Him. I wonder this, church. Having received Christ as Lord and Savior, are we actively yielding our hearts to God so that Christ might be formed completely in us? <laughs> How can we do this? How can we actively yield? I believe this text is going to be very clear. It's going to show us some things. This thing is filled with command verbs. Absolutely chock full of them. These things we call imperatives. These verbs that he's saying, do this. The Word of God. I want to break those down into three categories. Three ways we can actively yield our hearts to God so that Christ might be formed in us. So let's read together. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also, also will appear with Him in glory. Verse 5, I don't think we're ready for this morning. It's awful early, I know. Here we go. 
Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the the wrath of God is coming in these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Put them away from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. Which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule In your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Him the Father, to God the Father through Him. God bless the reading of His word. Amen. There are so many different ways, different angles I could come at this. He has so much to say in these few passages, these few verses. But I want to know this. How do I yield? How do I yield my heart? How do we yield our hearts to God for renovation? I think the first few verses give us the first way. And that is to set our hearts and minds on our new life in Christ. On our new life in Christ I don't know if you saw it this way, but when I read verse 1, and I've read it again and again and again, when he says, if then, I feel, I feel the apostle here almost saying, assuming you're in Christ. I'm making a big assumption here, church at Colossae. I'm making a big, a big assumption here, Eastgate Church, if you're in Christ. Assuming that's true. So, first of all, we have to make a note here. This is for the believer. The gospel, salvation is for all. But this is about sanctification. This is about what God is wanting to do in your life. It's for the believer. If, assuming this, you've been raised with Christ. Now that's a big assumption I make this morning. I could preach a whole different message about how to come to Christ. And we'll get to that throughout the year. We'll come back to the gospel again and again and again. But I want you to hear something this morning. Believer, this one's for you. In fact, I would say there should always be something every week that encourages and challenges us to be more like Christ, whether it's at the beginning stage of salvation or towards the end of our life that sanctification is part of our daily process. He says, if then, assuming you're in Christ, what? What's true then? What scares me is that somehow we would would overlook these first few verses and just say, oh, I've heard that. Or, yeah, that's great. I know that's true. Look what it says. My friend, church, this is for you. 
You've been raised with Christ Jesus. You are not what you were. If you're still living the same way you've been living all along, that nothing changed at the point of conversion, you missed in a very important fact, you are different. You have been holy and utterly changed. You've been raised with Christ Jesus. What you're experiencing may not always be the, the, the same thing as what you are positionally, but positionally, my friend, you are at the right hand of the Father with Christ Jesus. You have been raised with Him. You have been set free. You are already in Christ. Your, all, your old life then is already dead. It's, he's telling you some things here. These things are already true. And we often live as if nothing has changed. But a huge change has occurred. A huge change. For me, I got saved very young. I got baptized when I was six. And I, understand, I understood what that meant for that, for that young man. But I got I to gotta admit something. Part of my journey has been to kind of unpack what Christ is doing. That, yeah, I understood salvation in a very basic way as a young, a young boy. But what he's doing in me along this process, I've got to continue to yield again. That I am changed. That, yeah, the six-year-old was changed. <laughs> but then I, fought, I faced so many challenges. I, it's almost an advantage when you get... When you come to Christ later in life, not, not that, that you know, God has part of our process in mind. He knows, and so many of us come to faith as, as children. But when we come to faith later in life, we see that change more clearly. And it can be difficult when you've been on this journey for a while to, to overlook these truths. I'm bringing them to light for you because it's what I'm trying to do in me. That he is saying, I'm raised with Christ. He says in verse 3, your life is already Hidden with Christ in God, these things are true. And when He reappears, we will be with Him in His glory. I don't want to overlook those kinds of details anymore in my life. You do what you will, my friends, but those things, every verse just begins to jump off the page. God, what do you want to show me? And here's what He says in those, verse, those first few verses. So what does that mean? If you've been raised, assuming you're in Christ Jesus, what, what's our what is our role in that? Seek and set. Seek with all your heart the things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above. That means all these like details, all these, all these things that cause me worry. And it's not that I overlook those things. But they're not what my heart is set on. They're, they're not the, the priority pieces in my life. All, the, all the, the, these, these mundane details along the journey, these, these things, I need to master them. But the thing that I seek, the thing that I set, the thing that I strive most for is my life in Christ. Why? Because one of these things is eternal and one of these in the scheme of things is really, really, really short. So that if I'm constantly thinking about tomorrow, if I'm constantly thinking about what my next move is in my career or, or whatever, the this, this stuff that I, I spend all of my thoughts and all of my searching, I miss this bigger thing, this eternal thing. What are the things above? You know, Paul doesn't take time here. It, it, maybe it'd be kind of nice if he gave us a list. Well, here are the things above. Perhaps later on in this, this piece that we're discussing today are some of those heavenly kind of things like compassion and kindness and humility. But I don't think he's really talking about those. He's literally talking about this idea of I am, I am seeking what God is seeking. 
The things that are above are Christ, are the Holy Spirit, God above, the heavenly order that I want when, when I pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. I really, really mean it. I want to see heaven on earth. I want to seek the things, God, that you seek. What are those things? That all would come to salvation. Absolutely. That my life would look more like Jesus every day. Absolutely. Those are the things I'm seeking. So then, then my process of thinking totally changes to where I'm no longer thinking, Oh gosh, I've got to see, I've got to see Bob today and Bob annoys me to death. I don't want to see Bob. And instead of that prayer we've been doing all last year, all 2022, on our way to work, God, would you please allow Bob to stay in his cubicle today? Don't let Bob come by my office. I don't know, whoever your Bob is, you've got a Bob. And we pray different. Because that's not seeking the things that are above. That's not thinking and setting our minds the way Christ would set it. Instead, we go, God, and we can be honest. You know how much, Lord? Bob annoys me. But you love him. What am I supposed to do with that, God? Because I don't love him like you love him. Help stir my heart. Help me to see things differently. Some of you, it's in your family. Some of you, you you've got to see a family member. Some, somebody, maybe you've got to see him here at church. Lord, help. I'm so sorry. And you've been thinking lately, maybe you thought all of last year, you know, I just don't know if I can keep coming to Eastgate because Susie's over there and she drives me nuts. That's not seeking the, setting our minds on the things above. What would it look like to lead our lives as Christ would lead them? He's, Paul is writing, he's saying, this is already true. You're already new in Christ. You've already been raised with him. You already have another passage that says you have the mind of Christ. So Bob and Susie, Lord, maybe I don't know why you love them, but you do. But I might ask this question a different way. I'm not so sure I know why God loves me all the time. I'm pretty, I'm pretty a mess. <laughs> I don't know about you. Well, actually, I do know about you. I love you. You're a mess too. We all are. And he loves us in spite of us. And he's guiding us to love others the same way. That's just one aspect. One aspect of what it might look like to seek the things that are above. What does God want? That's a better question. As I'm reading this, this book, this is the thing he's really trying to get home. And I, and, and, and I hope that I can get there and start to understand that, that our vision always impacts our actions, always impacts our means. And so if the vision is, if the vision is I want to be a better father, that's a good vision. But he would argue it's not big enough. It's a good vision. I want to be a better husband. I want, to, I, want to, I want to do better this year financially. Those are good goals. And some of you have those. I want to look in the mirror this year and not see the slop that's flying off of me currently. I, that's a good goal. I want my belt loops to actually, I want the, belt, the, the pants to buckle. Those ones I really like. I'm not ready to move on from 34-inch waist, y'all. True, true statement. That 36 calls to me, it's like, man, that would fit so good. It's not big enough. It's not a big enough vision. These are all good. It's all fine. Being a better father, very important. Not big enough vision. Because it's not the things above. There's something even more. And it would make all of those other things true. 
know, God doesn't want me to be a slop fest either. That's important to Him. That my body is the temple of God. He cares what I put in it. He wants me to be a heavenly, He wants me to be a godly kind of father. He wants me to be a godly husband. And that's what's best. But those visions are underneath the bigger one, which is the things above God. So here's the question, my friend. If you get nothing else today, get this one question. God, what do you want me to be? What do you want from me? Ask it every day. Never get tired of it. Never get sick of the question. It may completely and utterly change the way you deal with your relationships, the way you think, the way your heart works. Good. God, can you do this? Some of you have almost no devotional life right now. Start. You can start now. You can start with this simple question. As you get out of your bed tomorrow, you can do this much. God, what do you want me to be? Where are you moving? I want to do what you do. I want to go where you want me to go. That's a simple, basic question, and it'll change your life. Mean it. And then part of that, is he's going to begin to work on that. If you'll really say that with all your heart. God, change me, transform me. Jesus says something very similar in Matthew chapter 6. I could have gone to many different passages of Scripture. This is one where Christ says this. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He's going to take care of all the, the nuances, all the little stuff. Seek first the kingdom of God. What are you doing, God? What are you up to? Where would you have me go? Who would you have me be? God, transform my life, please. At the end of the day, i got to tell you, I really just don't want to get to the heavenly gates and be thinking along that path, however long it takes to go from here to there, and be thinking, I just don't know if I gave my best. I don't want to think that in any aspect of my life anymore. God, change me. Allowing Jesus, allowing Him to fully, fully take over. Getting heaven in, in you. Setting your vision, your heart and your mind on Him. That's the first way. The second way, this is a little more graphic, but kind of easy to, to, to understand. And that is that we would put off the old self, literally counting it dead in Christ. Counting it dead in Christ. This word in verse 5 is such a fascinating word. It's the word necro, which is where we get things like necrotic or necrosis. It's the idea that cells would become dead. It's a, it's a Greek word that we use today. And necro is the idea of literally put it to death. The King James says mortify. It led some uh, ancient peoples and maybe some currently. I didn't do any research on this. But to really, really misinterpret this passage and go, well, this thing causes me to sin. I'm going to go ahead and cut that off. Because the King James literally says, mortify those earthly parts in you or something like that. To which some people decided not to read the whole of Scripture and said, well, my eyeballs are giving me trouble. Better cut them out. Better cut my hand off. Better cut some other things off. Use your imagination. This is what people did. It's not what Paul meant. Certainly not what the, the Holy Spirit intended by this. Rather, I think the New American Standard here really gets it really good. It says, therefore, treat the parts of your earthly body as dead. Treat them as dead. Why? The ones that lead you to this, this mismanagement of, of good things. Look, every single one of the things on this list could be good and were intended to be good at the garden. 
You know, God, God made that first one, the, the sexual immorality. He made that for good. It's been twisted and made wrong. Purity to impurity. Passion, He certainly wants passion. But not mismanaged passion. Not evil desire. Why? All of these things, He summarizes it. All idolatry. At the end of the day, that's the sin that we all, we all are tempted by in some capacity. It's idolatry. I learned something this week. I've kind of gotten more interested in words over the years, but that word idolatry comes straight out of the Greek. It's a transliteration. Idolone and latria. Latreia means worship or service. Idolone is idol. Idola, you hear that word in that. It literally means idol worship or idol service. And that's the thing that we come back to when we put anything else at the center of our heart, anything else when we, at the beginning of our day, instead of saying, God, you, God first, God, you, what do you want? Instead of that, we say, I, she, he, we we fill that in with some other proper noun, but not God. That's idolatry. And we do this accidentally all the time. So that our gods are so many other things, but they're not the God. He says all of these, put them to death. Now, did Paul mean for this to be a comprehensive list so that you could look at it and go, well, I'm not struggling with any of those. No, no, no. What is idolatry in you? Where are you made other gods? He says mortify those, put those to death. Put them to death. That's not, he's not really playing with the wording here. It literally means kill it. Kill it. I don't know about you, church, but I think too often we play, we play church. And I don't just mean like, hey, we come in here and we do a wonderful thing. I just mean as Christians in this world, we just play around with it. Rather than really, really mean what we say and really, really do what, we, we've, called to be, what we've been called to do. And, and we play with sin at times. And we just say, ah, I'm going to... I'm just going to put that just a little bit out of reach. But I don't want to put it too far out of reach that I can't reach it. I don't want to put it so far away that I couldn't. Because Jonathan, you don't understand that's my comfort at the end of the day. I'm going to need that. I might need that. And and some of you have done this in your finances. You had such a struggle in your life with credit cards that you finally said, you know, I'm going to put it on ice, right? Literally, you're going to put it in your freezer, cover it in water, and freeze it. That's not it. That's not out of reach. You know what you can do? You can and it'll fall. And that's what we've done with our sin. I'll freeze it. I'll freeze it for a little while. What about emergencies? What about emergencies, Jonathan? Well, the emergency is going to happen. I, I know it. I promise you an emergency will happen. And instead of cutting up that card and putting it as far as the east is from the west in your life, you froze it. And now you just got to wait. Yay, my comfort. And we play with these things rather than do what the Scripture says. Kill them. Cut them up. This is a hard word for somebody today. But somebody in here, you're currently married. But you've got a relationship at your workplace or some other relationship that it is getting way too close. You're talking to this person and it's more than just friendship. The Bible says, kill it. That means you may need, first of all, to 
confess this, but you may also need, as on your way home perhaps, to give that person a call and say, yeah, I'm not talking to you anymore. Or however you want to word it, kill it. Kill it. Some of you, (laughs) on your way home from work every day, for whatever reason, you take the long way. And the reason you take the long way is because maybe you can pass by the ABC store on your way home. And that's the thing you just, nah, I'm not going to go in there today. But rather than just avoid it, like, I'm never going to go that direction. You just, and you've been an alcoholic, perhaps. No. Those of you in the room, room who, who have been through that and know better, you know you kill that. You don't play with that. You kill that. Mortify it. Look, those are a few examples. I have my own. And I'm tired of playing with them and just saying, oh, they're, they're still in reach so that I might grab them. No. Kill them, cut them up. They've got to go. Why? Because they're idolatry and they take my eyes off of a greater vision. Perhaps most of the time it's not so much that I don't want what God wants, but that there's something else that's an imposter that I think that's good enough and it's not. That this this goal, this career, this life, this this is a success to me. I would just that and search for that. It would be enough and it's never going to fulfill me. There's imposters in my life. Put them off their their idols. It's idolatry. Put them away, it says in verse 8. And then it gives you a new list, a list that I know y'all loved. When I read verse 8, didn't you love it? Put away from you anger. You were like, well, I couldn't even get past the first. I want to get you headset. Like, I'm just, why? Check. Hey. All right, less movement, less movement. Keep it together, everybody. Couldn't even get past anger. Couldn't even get past that, and I'm with you. Why is that the first on the list? And then wrath and malice and slander. That at home, I might be talking about people. You know, there's those people you vent, right? Your mother, your husband. A friend, somebody that you vent to. Everybody, all of you in the room, you can look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You vent to somebody and you vent about people. You wouldn't believe what he said to me today. And you vent, vent, vent. I need that. It's like I need to do that. Otherwise, it's going to bottle up and explode in me. I must slander. I must do it. (laughs) And yet something strange is occurring to me. The more I talk ill of people, the more I think ill of them, the more I dislike them, the more my heart is actually totally given over to darkness. So that when I think of you and, and I've been slandering you and then suddenly I go, I truly dislike you. And it wouldn't have happened had I given it to Christ all along. I said, okay, yeah, they did something wrong in my life. But rather than handle that appropriately, I just gossip to my, to my spouse. That's my vent. And I don't do it much because here's something else I've noticed. She becomes jaded too. She would have never even disliked you except I just kept spouting. And now she dislikes you as well. Some of you in the room are wondering, who does, who does Nicole not like? Who does she not like? Who is John? I'm using you as an illustration. But I don't like everybody, and part of it's my fault because I just let. Yeah. 
I just spew out slander. You know you're doing this. I bet you are. I struggle with it. This one this week, just was like, I got to put that away because it's killing me. It's killing my wife. It's killing the truth, which is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And he's called me to be a part of your life somehow. And what does that look like? God, what do you want me to be to Joe? What do you want me to be to Izzy? If I hold some kind of grudge and then begin to slander to others, the darkness builds and changes my heart in a bad way. Put that away. Put it away. Why? Because it's not who you are anymore. That's where he gets to in verse 9. Put off the old self. Literally here, the old man. The old self. He's using a clothing illustration on purpose. Most of you understand this. You don't get up tomorrow and put on the same underwear, right? There's some things you might rewear, like jeans or something. I have, a, I have an undergarment rule, okay? No socks, no underwear, no t-shirts. They do not get a second wear. Maybe jeans. We'll do the smell test. We'll see. This is the clothing illustration he's using right here that most people, I think the people in Colossae and the people today would understand, you don't put this stuff back on. It needs a wash. And the old man, it's already been washed and it's gone. The old self, why are you still living in those clothes? He's saying that's not really who you are anymore. And it's strange that you're walking around in dead man's clothes. It's strange. Get out of them. And verse 10, so then verse 9 and 10, put on the new self, which is what? Has been restored to the imago dei here. Restored to the image of its creator. That means, guess what? In Christ Jesus, believer, we get to see what God intended for us as men and women of faith. We get to see, we're getting the garden in, in, in at least a glimpse of it in a new way. Well, what does that look like? It looks like the things he's going to begin to list from here on. Verse 11, it says that Christ is in all and, in all and, and, and is all and in all. And that all these former identities, and this is a really unpopular thing to say, but the Bible says it, so here you go. Verse 10 and 11, it says, Therefore, none of this other stuff you used to identify with, none of it matters. Greek and Jew... Now, we don't quite get that one, but we should. We should look at it and just fill in the blanks with whatever garbage we've been dealing with. This whole world of identity politics, it's not Christian. It's just not. And if you love it, then I, I, this is the thing. Ask God tomorrow morning, God, you show me. You help me understand who I am and what to be. And if he tells you something other than what I'm telling you, then come to me and let's talk, all right? Because I'm wrong, I guess. But I'm convinced that I'm not. Because that's what Paul is saying here. There's no barbarian, there's no Scythian, there's no man, there's no, there's no male or female, he says in another passage, and I believe that's in Galatians. And, and, and here he's saying no, 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 no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave, no free, no Greek. No. He, he doesn't list them all, but here's what he's saying. We're in Christ, He is all. Our identification now is Christian. And before we invade that with anything else, whether it's nationalism or we throw something else in there, we're not Americans first. We're Christians. In fact, whenever that begins to mess with this, we have to put that away. I'm Christian. I follow Christ. He is all and in all. Before I'm a man, I'm a Christian. Before I'm a white man, I'm a Christian. 
It's not that he's saying these things are irrelevant. They're relevant. God made you the way you are. He decided that. He didn't make me a different skin color. He didn't make me a different gender. He, he made me this. The most hated thing in America. I don't know why he did that. But he did, right? I'll let that slip. Y'all let that go. Pretend I didn't say that. But the Bible says something totally different about that. That what is first in us is Christ. And that begins to change the way we interact. And he has to do that in us. So that we would see people different. Yeah, we don't look the same. Yeah, we don't act the same. Yeah, our experiences aren't the same. The slave has a very different experience from the free. The Scythian, why did he throw that one in there? You're thinking, Scythian, what in the world? It's super barbarian, basically. It's, he begins to build a case there. He says, barbarian, Scythian. Scythian is an area up towards what is modern-day Russia. And these were known as some of the most savage people around. He says, whether you're savage or really savage, in Christ Jesus, you're changed. I don't care what your past is. I don't know if you can receive that today. I hope you can. Look, there's a new truth in you. The new self in you has the imago Dei made in the image of God. And in Christ Jesus, that's who you are. That's who you are. And we're all from Adam and Eve then. <laughs> if we look at it, we all have same ancestry. And we all have same Jesus. Same spirit. So put off the old self. Count it dead. Ephesians 4 says, Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. In Romans 6 it says, So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. These are words I think that are intentionally hard to hear because they're meant to cause you to stop playing. Stop playing. Kill it. Put it to dead. Consider yourself, in fact, dead to sin. This is why when Jesus raises Lazarus, and I think this is one of those wonderful illustrations of what Paul is now saying here about put on or put off and then put on. When Jesus comes to the grave of Lazarus, he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out, it shows all the power of Christ, the power of resurrection. He's already put that on display and then God raises him, in fact. The, the, the God, of course the Creator God has power over the creation. That's just obvious, but... He says something fascinating right after that. Lazarus, come forth. He doesn't leave it there. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Because who's Lazarus? He's not dead. <laughs> He's alive. He shouldn't be walking around in those three-day-old grave clothes. They stank. In fact, the King James basically says, He stinketh. <laughs> it's true. Go read it. The living do not wear grave clothes. Why are you still walking around in yours? When I look in the mirror, Jonathan, why are you still walking around in grave clothes? Why so much anger? Why so much slander? Why do you not care about the things of God? You're alive. You're new. Here's the third, and I spent so much time on that, y'all. I'm going to blitz this point. Put on the new self. Spend some time this week in this passage. Because I can't. Put on then. Put on then, verse 12. New clothes. What do they look like? Verse 12 through 14. They look like having a compassionate heart. Some of you have moved so far past that. That it's hard to believe it's possible. You have spent so much time. 
being angry with others in a dark place in the way you think about others. That compassion is completely foreign. But it can change. In Christ Jesus it can change. And it's already true in you. You already have the mind of Christ. So put on what? Compassionate hearts. How do I do that? Well, here's what it looks like. He gives us some some what ifs right away. A compassionate heart does what? It bears with one another. That was a hard word for me to hear this week. Because there's too many people in my life that I I would rather put off than put up with. It's interesting that Jesus in his very letter says, put off the sinful nature. Put off, put off, now put on, and now put up. Put on the new self, and now put up with one another. I don't want to put up with myself half the time, much less some of y'all. That's just facts. And yet that's not the gospel. That's not who Christ Jesus is in me. These were, this, this whole verse was like a total gut check for me this week to go, okay, bear with each other. That means to suffer with, to hold up, to endure. That means when, and just so you know, church, I never want to go to the hospital. I never want to go there. I, I never want to have, have to go check in on you because you're hurting. It's not my fleshly nature to want to help you. I'm so sorry. And it's not yours either probably, so don't judge me. But Christ in me is different. I've got great news. Some of you heard this this week. Brother Rich is out of the hospital. He's back home. He's not here today. But I checked on him a couple times last week. And in my flesh, I was like, oh, man. I really don't want to go into this hospital because I'm going to get bad news. And we had hard news over the last few days. I was thinking when I went to see him, I think it was Friday, I thought, I'm going to go see Rich and he's going to be looking really bad. Instead, I walked in there and he was doing great. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Praise God. But I don't like hospitals. I've seen horrible things there. Some of you have seen far more. And yet this word hit me again in my prep this week. Just bear with one another. Suffer with. Bear with. Why? Because that's what Christ does. That's who he is in us. That means I don't put you off. No, I put up. I bear with you. I hold you up. I answer when you call. I come to your house when you need. And it's not just a pastorly duty, my friends. It's a Christian duty. It's who we are in Christ. Some of you are in small groups. (laughs) When you hear from one of them, oh, I'm dealing with this. You don't just, oh, that stinks. Good luck with that. That's your bent. That's what your flesh is telling you to do. I got my own problems. I don't need your mess. That's how we all mostly think, right? But Christ in us does not. Why? Because eternal things are different. They're different. The way God thinks, that's different. And all of this hinges around verse 15 and on. That the peace of Christ now would rule in our hearts. That that's the thing that's empowering all this. The the reason that I've put off, the reason that I've put on, is that now Christ Jesus is ruling in my life. He's not just Savior. And this is perhaps where we've missed it somewhat as an evangelical church, is that we've made much of Christ as Savior. But guess who else He is? He's Lord. He's Savior and Lord. It's why when we baptize, we say, Lord and Savior. Because it's more than that. That is great. That is good news. I won't make any more, I won't make little of that at all, that He is Savior. Praise God, I could not make Him Lord unless He were Savior. But I must make Him Lord. That he might, the peace of Christ might rule in my hearts. This word literally means to be an umpire. 
to control it. The word brabeo here is, is, is an old Greek word, a Greek games kind of word, an Olympic kind of word. Brabates is, is, was the person that oversaw the games. So he's saying, let it rule over you. Let it, let it be the thing that, that contends, that, that deals with your, uh, your, your, your constant competition. Let it be the thing that rules. What one ancient commentator said about this, he says, The peace which God gives to the soul is to be to us what the brabutes was to those who contended there at the Olympic Games. It is to preside over and govern the mind and save it from disorder and irregularity. The soul is liable to agitations of passion and excitement, just like competitors. It needs something to preside over it and keep its faculties in place and in order. But this is what the peace of Christ does in me. It doesn't steal my passion. It doesn't make me less competitive. It doesn't, it doesn't make me less of what God intended. No, it just monitors and controls it, directs it, and says, wait a minute, Jonathan, you probably shouldn't be angry about that. Now, Christ gets angry in parts of Scripture. I need to understand, God, what are you mad at? What are you upset about? God, where are you moving? Like constantly letting the peace of Christ rule. Rule my heart. And then be thankful. And then that the word of Christ now dwells in me richly. And then this summarizing verse of verse 17. So then, whatever you do, whatever you do, Paul's like basically saying here, in case I missed anything, in the name of Jesus. Whatever it is. That means I do it in his name. Certainly that I would, he would put his stamp of approval on my life. Certainly true. But also I would do it in his strength. In his wisdom. Whatever I'm doing, I'm doing by the power of Christ for his glory. Putting on love. Putting on forgiveness. Putting on Christ Jesus. Romans 13, it says, put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put off the old self. Put on the new self that's being renewed in Christ. Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I want to end with this thought and it's somewhat strange because we preach grace and we preach the gospel so much and some of you have been on a journey with me at this church for some time and we preach that grace is unmerited favor and that's true. That grace is freely given by God and that's true. And grace comes, salvation comes by faith. But here's something I wanted to share with you. That grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. But it's not opposed to effort. And if you made a decision somewhere on your Christ-like walk to say, this is enough. I have received what some might call fire insurance, and that's good enough for me. That is not full grace. Grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. You cannot earn your salvation, but salvation should produce work. That's what James is talking about in his passage. You show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. It's not that he's saying, I earn my salvation by doing, no, my, my salvation causes me to do. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's time for us to get serious and stop playing. Stop playing with sin. Stop playing with this walk with Christ and assuming, oh, well, you know, I've done enough. This is good enough. It's not. He has so much more. 
And your life would be utterly different and look totally different if you would say, I'm giving you my all, I'm yielding all of it to you now. God, be in me what you desire. Set your hearts and your minds on the new life in Christ. Put off that old self, counting it dead in Christ. Put on the new self. Over the next week, over the next eight weeks, I would ask you to do something with me. Will you make a commitment? Make a simple commitment to spend every morning in just a few words with Christ Jesus. Maybe you already have some good habits here. Keep them up, my friends. I want to encourage you. God is doing and will do wonders in your, in your time with Him. He can do something with you that, that can never happen in this 45 minutes of preaching I do. He will show you things in, in, in His Word. He will show you things in prayer that I, I can't even imagine. But if that's not who you are, would you make a commitment over the next eight weeks with me to simply just start with this. God, I'm up. What do you want me to be doing today? Who do you want me to see? Who do you want me to be? How should I think? Just however you want to word that, start with that. Surely you have 15 seconds to do that. Surely. If you don't, your life has no margin. And you need to build some in it. Take time of the next eight weeks to do that with me. If you're willing, come on this journey with me for 40 days. I'm going to be posting stuff on Facebook. I think it'll be uplifting. It'll encourage you. It may even shake you up a little bit. I pray so that you would be transformed. And don't drop out of all your commitments this year. If, if part of your New Year's resolution was, I'm going to stop doing a whole lot of things that were uh, good for my Christian walk, let's go ahead and retry if you made the decision, you know, that small group thing I've been doing, I tell you, that really takes up a lot of time. Wrong answer. Fellowship with believers is part of your walk with Christ. Make a commitment. If you're not in a small group yet, get in one. We've got a couple. I'd like to start more. If more of you would say, hey, I want to be a part of this, we'll start more. Let's pray now together, church. Heavenly Father, we ask... Ask that you would help us understand what it means that grace isn't opposed to effort but to earning. I think we fully understand an aspect of that, God, that you give freely grace, that salvation comes by faith and not works. That's what you say in your word. We understand that in part. But that you're not done with us on that journey. That's that, that life, eternal life at least, does not end at the point of conversion. Otherwise, why are we still here? God, help us to understand what that looks like now. This process, you've kept us here for a reason. What does it look like to be sanctified? What does it look like that grace would continue to have its its work in me? That the person of Christ would continue to stir and transform my heart and that it would change the way I think, the way I act, the way I relate to others. That God, help me to begin to see that even now. As we spend the next few weeks together, on this notion that, God, you desire to transform us, that a Christian should look totally different than the world. Help us to begin to see that in our own lives. God, help us to begin to understand what that means for us personally. That we wouldn't push this thing off as, well, yeah, the the church probably should improve. Or, man, that was a really good message for my spouse or somebody I'm thinking of. No, what did that have to do with me? When I look in the mirror, God, am I giving you my all? Heavenly Father, I'm convinced. I've, I've not even touched that yet. I'm not even close. 
And part of that is painful, but part of it's encouraging. Knowing that, God, you have something more. That you intend something more for me if I would yield. Not just a part of my life, not just a few aspects, but all of it. Every piece. The parts I'm scared to give you, God. Because I know you're going to change them, and you will. For my good. God, help me to yield and to fully abide in you. Do that in our church. Do that in our people. I pray that would not be said of us. That no one, no one would look at our church and say, man, if those people would just live like the, the way Christ teaches, we would all be Christians. God, I pray that won't be true here. We would live out the grace of God in us. That the transforming power of the gospel would overflow in our lives. And we'd share it with those around us. We couldn't help but share it because it's, it's pouring out. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.